It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, and we are back. Hello, good morning and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by AMS Media. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu, and I've woken up in uh, something of a bad mood. Uh, There was lots of buzz around the return of the Premier League and in particular for us, the return of Arsenal to action. I don't think I'm the only one that thought we were going to go to the Etihad and probably get beaten, but it's the nature of the defeat that has made it so frustrating. It's the all the crap that seems to come with every Arsenal defeat just getting on top of us and and it's it's dragging us down. The weather's miserable, the football was miserable and the result was terrible. Um, I am, however, delighted to be joined by the brilliant Lee Scott who joined me on commentary uh, last night for the game. Lee is a top football analyst and a colleague over at Total Football Analysis. I'm delighted to welcome him to the Chronicles of Aguna. Lee, first of all, how are you, my friend? I'm fine, thank you. Um got over the result last night, I think, and the performance in the match. I was expecting a little bit more from Arsenal. I'm sure that all people that are tuning in will have as well. I know you were, Harry. I think it was, as you say, quite disappointing to see the nature of the defeat more than anything else. Absolutely. And I'm going to start off by talking about Mikel Arteta's team selection. Now, I went through a team on the preview show that I would have liked to have seen start the game. However, there was a huge caveat to that. And that caveat was that knowing, you know, that we have no idea at what level of fitness each of these players are, given that we've had this enforced break, given that they've not had a a great deal of time to get back up to speed. I was always open to the fact that it was going to be very different to the one that I perhaps wanted to see because of that and because of the fact that Mikel Arteta is with those players day in, day out, and he would have had a better understanding of where they were at. Um, if we run through the team, it was Bern Leno in goal. It was a back four of Hector Bellerin, Skodran Mustafi, Pablo Marie and Kieran Tierney with Xhaka and Genduzi in the middle of the park. And then it was uh, Saka on the right, Aubameyang on the left, uh, Willock in behind Eddie and Ketia. And there was, of course, no Mesa Ozil, not even in the squad. Now, when you look at the lineup, as I said, it's not the lineup I would have gone with. However, I understand why we may not be in a position to to make that call because we're not on the training ground day in, day out. I thought that David Lewis would play. And I'm going to start with David Lewis because he ultimately had such a huge impact on the game. And of course, he gave a really, really interesting interview after the match in which he said it was his fault. And he spoke about, I guess, the goals, but he also alluded to something going on behind the scenes in regards to the contract. Now, we know that David Lewis... Only has uh, only had a one-year deal. We thought it was two years. Everybody thought that. That's what was reported when he signed. But it came to light just a few weeks ago that that was not indeed the case. So, uh, Lee, I know you've seen David Lewis's interview this morning. Before we get into the actual football, what did you make of that? And what did you take from that? I think, first of all, you've got to appreciate the fact that he was willing to come out and face up to the media and, and put his hands up and admit fault, if you like. I mean, there's no doubt whatsoever that the first goal certainly was absolutely his fault, the failure to cut out the pass from De Bruyne. He just, it's something we've seen from Luis throughout his whole career, that lapse in concentration when he just takes his eye off the ball at the important moment and that allows the ball to, to roll up off his thigh and over, looping over to Raheem Sterling. 
I think that David Luiz has historically been somebody who will come out and face the media and, and speak and speak quite well. Usually it was interesting that he, he stated that he should have perhaps made a different decision, almost intimating that he feels like he shouldn't have played at all. They shouldn't have made himself available for the squad. I don't know if that's to do with the fact that he's only got two weeks left on this contract and he's not planning to play beyond that. Um, I think that at this point, the club has to make a choice about exactly what they're going to do with the contract situation. Absolutely. And it is a big issue because uh, we've seen it time and time again at Arsenal where important players to the team have run their contracts down and we've had a, a real problem with that. It's impacted on their performances. And I'm not saying that David Lewis is someone that we desperately need to keep a hold of um, because I think we can do better than David Lewis. It's just that at this moment in time, it's pretty clear that he's part of Mikel Arteta's plans. And I think what I can take from, from his interview and from what Mikel Arteta said was that he, in fact, probably would have started the game had something not gone on in the background. So it intimates to me that perhaps there is an issue with the contract. Perhaps Arsenal are not willing to meet his demands. He said that Mikel Arteta wants him to stay. Mikel Arteta said that his, uh, you know, his performance last night will not impact his thinking around David Lewis. So it's really interesting. to You can take that either way. And that's what I find so interesting about it. It wasn't a clear interview at all. And I think in his attempts to come out and clear uh, clear the air and face the music, David Lewis has made it all the more confusing, um, which is a problem and it's frustrating. Now, how much of an impact do you think that the early injuries had on Arsenal's game plan and performance? I think um, losing two players in such key positions will always have an impact, but it completely derailed Arsenal, didn't it? I think so. I think that the loss of Xhaka in particular was key. Um, I think that we, we talked to the broadcast last night about the fact that Manchester City were very much setting up in a way to prevent Arsenal from progressing the ball in the midfield when they had the ball at the back line. You saw Ben Leno and the two centre-backs having a lot of time in possession. Man City were happy to set off and wait for them to try to pass the ball forward before starting to press. There was no player after Granit Xhaka left the pitch who was willing to take possession in those tight areas for, for Arsenal. We saw Guendouzi try to do it. We saw Danny Shabalos even drop really deep to try and collect the ball in those areas, but neither of them were comfortable. And really, you need a player there who's willing to take possession, who will then attract the press towards him before then releasing it into space. And Arsenal weren't able to do that. Um, I think it would be interesting to see whether Granit Xhaka, who we know is comfortable in those areas, it would be interesting to see if he was able to have more of an impact on that for the game. And, and that might have changed the way that Man City tried to press. That might have changed the way that Arsenal were able to progress the ball. And that might have made an impact of getting the ball forward to the Arsenal danger place quicker. Absolutely. We kept talking about it in commentary, didn't we? Manchester City were very happy to allow the Arsenal central defenders to have possession uh, completely unpressured and unchallenged because they were concentrating on preventing them from progressing that ball. And I think you're right. When you do lose um, a deep line midfield player like Granit Xhaka yesterday, it does become a problem. And it highlights for me, um, you know, the, the importance of him in this Arsenal side. Now, I know that he does make mistakes, similarly to David Lewis. He, he, yeah. he has brain fart moments. He does. But, you know, you, you, you see how important he is to the team and you value that. That's not to say that Danny Ceballos didn't do OK when he came on. I thought... He gave it everything. I thought he tried. I thought the team in general were really uh, lacklustre in terms of their creativity. Moving further up the pitch, was you disappointed to see, um, you know, Saka, Aubameyang and Nketiah really unable to get involved in the game and to have an influence on it? 
yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work having Saka out on the right hand side. He was too isolated, and, and City were quite happy to push him out onto his right foot instead of letting him cut back inside his left. I think the problem for for Arsenal in that area is one of almost team building and, and team construction. If you look at the fact that they're they're definitely trying to get Aubameyang into the team in that left wing position, where in a match like that you should have played him through the centre. Uh, give him a chance to play in a central area where he is more comfortable playing, where he's able to affect the game and pin back the defenders with his pace. And then you could have Saka on the left, where he could have combined with Kieran Tierney. I think that Tierney and Saka on the left-hand side can produce really good intricate pieces of football there. They're players that can play off one another with Saka having the capacity to cover for Tierney when he goes forward, and Tierney being able to support Saka and when Saka has the ball in advanced areas. I think there just there just seemed to be something off. The service wasn't there, and, and that was mainly down to the fact that Arsenal couldn't progress the ball. You're right to touch on Dallas Ceballos because he did look good when he came on, but you really need him to be the player who's behind that press for Manchester City. So you need him to be in the pocket of space between the press and, and the defensive line of City, where Arsenal could have tried to progress the ball to Ceballos in those areas, and then Ceballos is able to turn and, and get the ball forward. But because there was nobody linking that, there was nobody between the centre-halves and that space for Arsenal who could take possession and play that progressive pass, you ended up losing because Ceballos couldn't affect the game. He kept having to come deeper to try to get possession instead of staying forward. So City were just comfortably able to press and to defend and, and really Arsenal showed very little threat outside the first 15 minutes for me. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head there, Lee. Um, let's talk a little bit about Mesut Ozil because uh, we heard, obviously, an hour before the game that he wasn't even in the squad. Um, and, you know, Mikel Arteta, when he came out and said, it's tactical, I had these horrible flashbacks to Unai Emery because that's what he used to say. And, um, you know, I, I've really praised Mikel Arteta so far and I am fully behind him. There's no question about that. But that comment did frustrate me, I've got to be honest. And it frustrated me because it felt like a cop-out. And that's what I always accused Unai Emery of. It was Unai Emery copping out of a situation. Now, when you look at Arsenal's squad yesterday and the fact that we were allowed nine substitutes, I'm not buying that Mesut Ozil isn't good enough to be at least in those nine substitutes. What's yeah. your take on it? And do you think that there is more to this? I think there's undoubtedly more to it. You're, you're right to say that he had flashbacks to Unai Emery when, he, when Arteta's come out and stated that Ozil's been left out for tactical reasons. I don't buy that at all, but even for a second, I think that some cases coaches hide behind that when there's something going on behind the scenes that they don't want to fully address in the media or they don't want the fans to get wind of. But obviously, fans aren't stupid. They, they recognise the pattern that, that is forming here and it revolves around it. Ozil. I mean, Ozil is a creative force of a player. There's no doubt whatsoever about that. You have to understand, though, that he comes with tactical constraints, so he does actually constrain what you can do from a tactical point of view, especially against top sides like Manchester City, where perhaps his defensive work isn't quite as good as his attacking work in possession. And that's important, but you're right, he should have still been in such two beds, because in those last 15 minutes, when Arsenal were only 2-0 down and desperately trying to find a way back into the game, the introduction of Mesut Ozil playing in the midfield could have made the difference. He could have been the player who found that that key to unlock the Manchester City defence. And instead, we saw Arteta have to go almost like for like. He swapped pace and wide areas for pace and wide areas. He swapped a poacher for a poacher. 
and you're not changing the game by making those substitutions. You're not doing anything different. You're just putting on pressure players at legs that have the same kind of tendencies as the players who came off. And that's why City were so comfortable seeing it out. I think going forward, there's going to be a lot surrounding both David Luiz and Mesut Ozil, and perhaps like the so, rightly so, and not for the first time either. I think that this is something that Arsenal are going to have to address properly in the postseason. They're going to have to decide whether they're going to move away from Ozil and all the badges that surround him. Yeah, absolutely. It is a big decision um, that, that Arsenal have to think about. And there, there seems to be a lot of this stuff going on at the moment. There's speculation around Ozil, there's speculation around David Lewis now. And of course, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who for me, um, I guess people are going to question his attitude last night and the fact that he was sort of jogging around. But I can't help but watch that game. And I have watched it back since we've done the commentary um, last night I was doing some work after the game and I put it on again and you know it, it's difficult to point the finger at Aubameyang's attitude when quite frankly the service wasn't there and he doesn't want to be defending <laughs> throughout the game and that is essentially what he was being asked to do when Carl Walker was coming forward and it it just feels like if we don't change direction soon you can see him getting fed up can't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that Aubameyang is a player that, that you know what you get. You you get a great attack and output, and he, he's been fantastic in that sense for Arsenal since he came to the Premier League. But he isn't a player who enjoys tracking back and defending. Sometimes you get forward players who have that mentality, but it's it's a tendency more than anything else. And if you if you have Aubameyang tracking back all the time, defending in his own half, you're losing what makes him so effective. It's in transition, so when Arsenal win the ball back, the transition moment when they can hit the ball forward to Aubameyang, who would be isolated against a defender, he then has an opportunity one-on-one against a defensive player. Obviously, he can use his pace, he can combine, he can run in behind. He gives you a lot of different things in the attacking phase. You, you don't get the defensive side of it, and that's why playing when left is quite difficult. Kieran Tierney is a very good defensive left-back. But even he will struggle when he's got Riyad Mahrez isolated against him. And then Kyle Walker is moving forwards, either in the half space or the wide area. And then Kevin De Bruyne is moving out to that side as well. Suddenly Tierney's left with two or three players, and Aubameyang still isolated and attacked. I think that's why I would have played Aubameyang through the centre, so that Saka could have combined back with Tierney to give a little bit more defensive cover. And then you would still have the threat of Aubameyang in transition. I think that that's just an interesting tactical tweak that Arteta could have gone for. I understand playing him from the left to get another attacker in, and usually it's Lacazette, and Lacazette and Aubameyang work well together. I understand that, but it felt like a push having Nketiah play in that central position with Aubameyang isolated out wide. It just didn't seem to be the same understanding of partnership there. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Let's let's go back to the goals then. Let's let's start with the first one and. I've watched it back time and time again, and it's. It, I think it was Kevin De Bruyne that looked to play the ball in behind uh, towards Raheem Sterling, who had made that run across uh, behind David Lewis, essentially. Did we see there, and I'm not excusing David Lewis for a second, so please don't take it this way, but did we see there the disadvantage of having a right-footed player playing at left centre-back? Because you just get the feeling that had that been Pablo Marie on his stronger left foot, He'd have been able to deal with that. David Lewis's body positioning was a little bit awkward and he looked very much like someone who had not only misjudged the situation, but was unable to adjust his body in time to deal with it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think having a left-sided centre-back just adds that balance. And I think that's why when Arteta joined Arsenal, 
the, the narrative coming from the club was that he was extremely keen to get a left-sided centre-back in, which is why we saw obviously Marie signed on loan for Flamingo. Whether I think that loan is likely to be made permanent, and I believe they might actually go out and look for another player in that role as well, just to add a little bit of depth to the squad. I think that when De Bruyne got the ball wide on the right, the interesting point for me was that Sterling made his run from so far over. He actually comes across, I think, two Arsenal defenders before he gets in behind in the box. And at that point, none of these defenders are, are signalling or passing him on. It's just a, a straight run. I think they all expected David Luiz to be able to deal with it. And he's a professional football player, 99% of the time, you would expect a defender to clear that ball. He takes his eye off the ball, obviously looking forward to see where he could clear the ball into an area that would be advantageous. And as soon as he does that, the ball just spins off his thigh and it's in behind. And Sterling has an easy finish for the goal. I think you're right, the lack of balance and the lack of body position, the lack of understanding and the lack of awareness for David Luiz all contributed to that. But again, it's so difficult to say whether Marie, if he was still on the pitch, would have been able to clear that ball. And don't forget, that was right on half-time. Arsenal were nil-nil at half-time against a good Man City team. The, the complexion and game state of the second half changed completely on that moment. That was the key moment in the whole game for me. Yeah, you're you're right. Let's let's move on to the the second goal, which for me was the one that, you know, mistakes happen. I I, I was, you know, we were on commentary together. I was angry um, at halftime, having just seen what David Lewis had done. But the second one was even more frustrating for me because it was not only an initial lapse in concentration, but it was a moment of stupidity after as well. And we can argue that he was harsh that he was shown a red card. We can argue that, um, you know, the contact wasn't. Uh, great but ultimately you cannot put your hands on a defender or on an attacker's shoulder sorry when he's the wrong side of you in the penalty area and expect that to go unpunished so David Lewis again completely out of line but it comes back to that bit of concentration again and you said it in commentary Lee he just got rolled by Riyad Mahrez and from there on it was always trouble yeah, and again, it was body position, it was awareness. When the ball came across to Mahrez, he took the ball on his chest and just pushed the ball past David Luiz on the outside. From that position, David Luiz should have been another yard or two off of Mahrez to prevent that run. Instead, he got too tight, he allowed Mahrez to control the ball and move the ball past him on one movement. I think we talked about in commentary last night the fact that it was harsh to get a red card and a penalty for that that offence, I mean, Louise wasn't already on a yellow card, that was a straight red. And yes, he had his hand on his shoulder, but Mahrez went down, made no mistake about it. He didn't dive, I'm not saying he, he took a dive because it was a foul, but he could have tried to stand up and have a shot on goal in that area. He knew exactly what he was doing, he played Louise and, and Louise made the mistake. But again, it was a lapse of concentration, a lapse of judgment, and, and just a poor choice from Louise in that moment. Absolutely, it certainly was. Having said all of that, because... It, you know, it does feel very doom and gloom. Arsenal back after three months out of action, as as is everybody else. But it does feel very doom and gloom. Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, that, that was their first Premier League defeat this year, um, which shows clear signs of progress. Feels like we're being really negative and really downbeat. I, I guess when I think about it this morning and I've, you know, this morning I've I've calmed down substantially compared to what I was feeling last night. And that's why I always do these podcasts the next day and not immediately after the game. Um, but I guess what I want to say is, are we overreacting? Are Arsenal just 
not unfortunate because the mistakes were of our own doing, but should we take into account that the changes made a huge impact that we had to make? Should we be uh, wary of the fact that David Lewis's individual errors have cost us and therefore not beat ourselves up too much about this defeat? It is Manchester City, after all, who are a fantastic side. Yeah, I think that that's the key point. It is against Manchester City that this wasn't a performance against a Burnley or a Brighton or Southampton where you would have expected more going into the game. This is, I think, Harry, we've, we've been fortunate that we've done commentary in quite a few games since we started mostly in the Bundesliga until last night. And, and we've seen very good sides start slowly. And we haven't really seen a team start as well after the lockdown as Manchester City started last night. Their passing improved after the first 15 minutes. They were moving the ball, they were probing, they were doing all the things we expect them to do. And that's something that we haven't seen for a team to get up to speed that quickly. You're absolutely right that Arsenal have been in form. It's difficult to call it form because it's been such a long layoff. But since the start of the year, their performances have been good. Their results have been good and Arteta started to turn the team around. I think going forward, you have to give him the chance to, to continue what he's doing without being too negative about this game, just take it on the chain and move on to the next game and then treat it as an entirely new fixture and see what goes from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, uh, let's go to some of the live comments that are coming through. There are plenty of them. Um, big hello to everyone who's currently tuned in via YouTube watching us and to those, of course, who are listening back via the audio later on. If you are on YouTube, don't forget to smash that like button. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. You can become a patron of the podcast by heading over to patreon.com forward slash the chronicles of aguna you'll have access to exclusive content as well as be supporting the podcast as we look to produce more and more uh, top level content for you uh let's have a look um omar says i'm even more angry than i was last night pathetic performance uh stan the man says i was just off to bed here in vancouver then i got this notification thank you stan uh, for tuning in ross says utter shambles harry um Yassir says, I'm not confident for the Brighton game whatsoever. Um, Sir Antonio's block says, the season is over anyway, as far as I'm concerned. These are just practice matches. Um, so not everybody is as downbeat as uh, some of us uh, this morning. Um, Arsenic Gunner says, talk about the next game. Even our best team can't beat this one. Yeah, again, it's Manchester City, isn't it? We have to keep making that point. Um, you know, it, you can be disappointed, you could be frustrated at the nature of the defeat, but you've also got to remember where we are at the moment as a team and as a football club. And that can be difficult at times because we have been used to success. We have grown up with success. We have always been a competitive side throughout my lifetime anyway. If you think that when I started supporting Arsenal, it was when Arsene Wenger took over. So for me, I've never seen Arsenal in sort of the state that they're in now, not for a sustained period of time anyway. So it is hard. Uh, to take it. Uh, JMC says, what was that lineup? I didn't get it. David Lewis should be let go. Graham Sutherland says, Harry, the only difference between Arteta and Emery is that Arteta speaks better English. Oh, and that Emery looked better at this stage. Um, Young Yogi asks, Tierney played really well yesterday. What future do you see for Kalasinac? Now, uh, Kalasinac, for me, I don't think has a long-term future at Arsenal Football Club. I think he will be moved on eventually. But, Lee, you made some really interesting points about Kieran Tierney uh, during the commentary that we did last night, which you guys can check out, by the way. Um, it is on, on our channel. If you go back, you'll find it there. 
Um, thank you to those that tuned in live, but it is there if you want to go back to it as well. Lee, just uh, give us the download on on Kieran Tierney because obviously he's somebody who made quite the impression in Scotland. Arsenal fans haven't necessarily seen a great deal of him just yet due to injuries. But what, what's your take on on uh, on Kieran Tierney? No, they definitely haven't seen the best of him yet, Harry. I think that last night I, I told you that up here in Scotland, there's still a very real conversation about whether Andrew Robertson or Kieran Tierney is the better player. Um, and when you think about the impact that Robertson's had whilst at Liverpool on this Liverpool side, that's quite a statement to make, but it's entirely true. Tierney is a player who obviously came through a bigger club than Robertson. Celtic had a huge club up here, and he was used to success. He was used to dominating matches. We saw a lot of attacking game was at Celtic, but we also saw in the Champions League games and bigger games and cup finals, his defensive determination. I'm an Aberdeen fan and Celtic played Aberdeen in a cup final. Kieran Tierney went off injured after getting a really bad elbow to the face. He was taken to hospital and he still made it back with a strip covered in blood for the trophy presentation afterwards. That's the kind of character that Kieran Tierney is. I think he gives you a lot of flexibility. We saw last night when, when David Luiz got sent off, I made the comment that Tierney would switch inside because he's played centre-half before. We saw that. Perhaps he's a little bit undersized for a centre-back in the Premier League, but he has that ability to play there. He's comfortable going forward. I would like to see him combining with Saka on that left-hand side because I think the two of them can work in tandem really well. Absolutely. We look forward to seeing more of him as well because we have seen glimpses of what he can do. But obviously, when he's put in a position like he was last night, isolated at left back, um, he's not going to get the greatest of help from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in a defensive sense. And then uh, he's been asked to move into centre-back to cover for David Lewis's fuck-up, essentially. Then uh, it's always going to be difficult for him, isn't it? Um, let's see what else we've got here. Omar says, uh, Tierney will come good next season. Um, and uh, just uh, finally, there was one comment. I've just lost it here on my screen. Let me find it. Um, Oporum Felim says, Ozil will start against Brighton. Of course, Arsenal take on Brighton and Hove Albion uh, at the weekend on Saturday. We'll be bringing you a preview show uh, for that game on Friday morning. So stay tuned uh, for that. Uh, do you think there's a chance of a Mesut Ozil walking back into the squad? Do you think, well, if there is, Lee, then that suggests it was tactical. Uh, doesn't it? It would, it definitely would. I think that Brighton's a game, a team where we'd expect Arsenal to have a little bit more possession and have the ability to progress the ball forward a little bit stronger. I think that there is an opportunity for Ozil to come back at that team, but the problem is the balance in the midfield. I think last night something felt really off. I'm not entirely sure. Still, I, I like Guendouzi as a player, but I'm not sure what his best role and best position is for Arsenal. He's not a sitting midfielder, he's not a six because he's not disciplined enough. He doesn't progress the ball well enough to be an eight in a box-to-box midfielder. He seems to be always between all these areas. So if you have players like that in the first team, then where do you then play Mesut Ozil? Because Ozil needs players to attack the discipline behind him, or else Arsenal are going to find themselves in problems defensively. Brighton are a very different proposition. They, they progress the ball through their centre-backs. So like Adam Webster is very, very capable of playing those forward passes that can split defences. So th- there's a different proposition in the Brighton game than we saw against Manchester City. Yes, the expectation is that Arsenal should have a stronger chance to win, but it will be interesting to see exactly how Arteta managed to balance out that midfield, especially if Xhaka is going to be missing. We don't know yet if he will be. 
if Xhaka is missing from the team, then who plays as that six, who holds the midfield, who, who's the player who shields the defensive line and allows everyone else to get forward and attack? There's a lot of questions to be answered, I think. A hell of a lot of questions. Uh, and that's uh, that's the way it is at Arsenal. We've got plenty of questions. We've got plenty of complaints. And uh, despite the break, nothing appears to have changed. Uh, anyway, uh, Lee, thank you so much for your time, mate. Really, really appreciate you joining me uh, this morning. I know you're really, really busy. Um, Lee has got some uh, excellent work under his belt. He's done a fantastic book on Pep Guardiola and, and his tactics and looking at the ins and outs of that which you can find on all good bookstores. Uh, Lee, you've also got another one coming out at the end of August, uh, looking at Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. Uh, how can people keep up to date with you on social media and, and keep in touch and, and follow your great work? I think the best way, Harry, is just on Twitter. You'll find me at FM Analysis. Um, obviously, also follow us on at Total Analysis. That's the Total Football Analysis Twitter handle. And you'll get all of the work from all, all of our analysts through that. Brilliant stuff. Please do that. I'll be leaving Lee's uh, Twitter handle and, of course, the Total Football Analysis one in the description as well for those of you who want to jump on board for some industry-leading analysis. Um, my final say, I guess, is, look, it was disappointing. It was frustrating. Uh, it always is when you, you get beaten uh, so heavily. It's frustrating when individual mistakes um, are the reason for that. What more can I say then? We're, we're only in a position that we knew we were in. We're not any worse off under Mikel Arteta. I think there has been some progress, but if anybody thought that we were going to all of a sudden become this world-beaten side, then they're sadly mistaken. There are going to be bumps along this road, but I still do believe that we on the we are sorry on the right road with Mikel Arteta, and fingers crossed he can turn the ship around sooner rather than later. As I said, we'll be back on Friday morning with a preview of the Brighton game. And then we'll be bringing you raw reaction to that game around about half an hour uh, after the final whistle. There'll be some exclusive content for the patrons as well, um, in, available immediately after the game. And then we'll be back on Monday with another review show. So until then, take care of yourselves. My thanks to Lee once again. Have a good day. <laughs>